Well, please remain standing for the reading of God's word from Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Galatians 6, 6 to 10. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's God's word for his people. You may be seated. Let's pray once again and ask for his help. And I will just ask uh, you to pray with me. My, um, both my eyes are doing something funky today, so I am distracted, um, and I don't want us to be distracted. So let's pray together um, and thank the Lord that even if we don't have physical eyes working well, we need spiritual eyes to see Jesus, and um, the Spirit will help us do that. So let's pray. Father, we do pray uh, that all the distractions uh, this morning and the things uh, of life, uh, important things, true things, real things, um, would for a moment uh, cease uh, to bounce around in our heads and that your spirit would give us clarity of mind and calmness in hearts that we might see our Savior Jesus and that um, our community and our life together would reflect more and more the love he has uh, for us and that you first gave us. And so we pray today uh, that you would feed us by your word and make us more like Christ for the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, Peter Wolleben, uh, and begins his beautiful uh, book, The Hidden Life of Trees, with the story of how his view of tree has changed. Um, he was once a forester, and so all that mattered to him was um, how much a tree could get him at the lumber mill, uh, how much profit he could get in a tree. Uh, but then after uh, about 20 years ago, he shifted from forestry uh, to forest tourism. Uh, and uh, as he began uh, to lead retreats and to work uh, in the forest, rather not just harvesting the forest, he began to see things he never saw before. Uh, things that would never catch his eye, like gnarled trees or knotty trees or crooked trees, uh, all of a sudden opened this brand new world to him that had always been there, uh, but he'd never seen it. Uh, these bizarre root shapes that would get you no money at the lumber mill all of a sudden uh, had a, a beauty to him that he never saw before. Uh, these root trees uh, he began to see would intertwine uh, and connect with other trees uh, like we see here in this picture. We got capo. Oh, yeah, right? You can see it, right? Your eyes work. <laughs> It'll be there soon, I promise. You should just get the book. There we go, right? He would walk past these trees and be like, can't get any money for them at the lumber mill. They're too crooked, gnarled, or whatever. Um, but recent studies show these, these tree roots, when they do this, is actually no accident. Uh, trees share nutrients with each other, 
sometimes even sharing nutrients with trees who are competing with them for those very same nutrients. They, they will intertwine, and even though they're competing, they actually are interdependent. And so he writes this, a tree is not a forest. On its own, it's at the mercy of wind and weather. But together, many trees create an ecosystem that moderates extremes of heat and cold, stores a great deal of water, and generates a great deal of humidity. And in this protected environment, trees can live to be very old. He actually says trees can't live to be very old if they, if they stand on their own. It's only when they intertwine that they can create a forest and actually span hundreds of years. And sometimes these intertwined trees are so connected that when one of them dies, the other often does as well. Now, maybe you don't like trees as much as I do, and you don't want to spend an afternoon with this book. But either way, you can't miss the glorious design of our communal God in these root systems. As God created trees to work together to become a forest, so God redeems sinners in order to then entwine them together to be what he calls, in verse 10, a household of faith. And Christianity in the West, in which we live, tends to emphasize the individual. It's about you and Jesus. Yet Galatians 6 begins by teaching the Christian faith is actually a communal faith. That we've been saved individually, but then made individuals in a household of faith. Like trees intertwine roots to grow into a forest, God redeems us so that we might walk in the Spirit together for His glory. And Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, continue teaching us the shape of what our Christian life together looks like. And so these verses have three exhortations and one final application. Three exhortations and one final application. And that's going to shape our time in God's Word uh, this morning. And so first, the first exhortation, support gospel teachers. Support gospel teachers. Look at verse 6. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, this is a progression of Paul's argument from verses 1 to 5, where we're first called to come alongside each other physically to help each other spiritually. We're not just supposed to send texts or tell each other from afar, hey, I'll be praying for you this week. We're actually supposed to do that physically to help one another spiritually. Now Paul continues that come alongside each other call and teaches that we should help teachers of the word materially, financially. God's people are to financially and materially support teachers of the word. And that's not too surprising given the context of Galatians. Why did Paul write Galatians in the first place? Because false teachers had come in and started to destroy the faith of the Galatian church by saying that they had to do it themselves that Jesus maybe started them on the path of salvation, but they had to finish it, and they were destroying their faith. False teachers always lead away from Jesus. They can lead to a hundred other things, thousands of other things, but no matter where they're leading to, it's always away from Jesus, who is the only one in whom sinners have life and freedom. And so to keep us on the path of life, the church is called to support teachers of the word by sharing all the good things they have with those who teach them. 
all the good things, not just money, but, but time and love and material support. Now, let me admit the awkwardness of the moment. <laughs> As calling the church to support teachers of the word absolutely benefits me. And so, before we get on, just let me brag on you all for a moment. The, you have done this. For every staff pastor since I've been at Five Points, when people are on staff, you take care of them. And that's never, uh, or excuse me, there's never been a season uh, in my 17 years here when either corporately or you even individually uh, have taken care of us. There's, there's never been a time when that's not been the case. And I'm not only talking about financially or materially. Uh, many pastors uh, may be taken care of financially and yet receive scorn or division, uh, are uh, the brunt of gossip and dissension from their flock. And as much as I can know, I can honestly say that this congregation has never withheld uh, your love or support of me and my family. Even when you might disagree with me, and even in times when my failures are before you. you we love you, and, and you love us. Uh, and so while love doesn't pay the bills, and I'm thankful for your financial support over the years, uh, your love does fuel my pastoral ministry at Five Points. And I, I actually uh, am in the minority. You might not think so, but I was at Gospel Coalition a few weeks ago, and I know pastors... Um, from my days in seminaries and over my 20 years of ministry, I've met pastors all over the country, and many of them are jealous of what I can say about you. And so I praise God for your commitment to share all your good things with those who labor in teaching you the word. And, and, and it's that phrase that then makes this a little less awkward and now points uh, the spotlight on teachers of the word for a moment. The phrase... The word <laughs> brings a necessary caveat to the financial support the church is called to give. You shouldn't support just anyone who gets up and can talk in front of you. The call is to only support those who teach the word, which is shorthand for the word of Christ. The word is the gospel. And Galatians 1 and 2 highlight the word of the gospel comes from God and not from men. The church doesn't need human teachers touting their wisdom with flashy creativity. They need people who will preach Christ, the one true gospel. And so five points, never stand for someone who peddles the Bible for their personal benefit. Never, never tolerate someone who will get up here to build their personal platform. Continue to support only those who will teach the word of Christ because that is what our life is. That is where our life is found. As Paul wrote in chapter 3 of Galatians, only support teachers who weakly placard Christ before you as the only Lord and Savior. When that is happening, then we're called to support our teachers of the word of Christ. Now that leads to the second exhortation. The second exhortation, uh, first, support gospel teachers. Secondly, value eternity. Value eternity. Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Uh, 
Becky recently bought something that she needed, and when she told me about it, uh, my first thought was, really? <laughs> you needed that? It's okay. I'm not very nice sometimes. And I was like, hmm, hmm, is that a need? But you know what? I can very quickly spend money on something I want that's definitely not in the budget or necessary when I want it. <laughs> yeah, I cast suspicions quickly on other purchases, but I can, ama it's amazing how fast I can find some room in the budget for something I value. And I think similarly here, you will give financial and material support to your teachers of the word if you value eternity. When you don't value eternity, God's going to get the scraps of what he's first given you. But if you value eternity, you will steward all your good things for the glory of his name and the furthering of his kingdom. And so he says to value eternity. And the first way we do that is to not be deceived. Do not be deceived, he says. The, the other two times Paul uses this phrase are in 1 Corinthians. And both of them have to do with the Christian's eternal inheritance. What's coming, the future. He says, do not be deceived about what's on the horizon. And so when Paul says, do not be deceived, here in verse 7, he's connecting how we live each day with God's judgment of us on the last day. If we value eternity, we'll steward what we have towards knowing how to live daily according to God's ways so that on the last day we will live with him for eternity. And that's what the word mocked gets at. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, Paul isn't saying people don't mock God. You could open up any one of your apps right now and very quickly find probably someone at some point mocking God without having to look too hard. So Paul isn't saying people don't mock God. They have, and there will always be people who continue to mock God. God is not mocked means there's coming a day when all people who reject God and live as if he does not exist and openly defy him in their living, they will stand one day before God and answer for it. We see this often in movies or TV shows, maybe even in real life sometimes. When you are in a group of people and someone's talking about someone, and they're really just going in on them. And all of a sudden, everyone's eyes get really big. And the person who's talking says what? They're standing right behind me, aren't they? <laughs> I mean, you can run your mouth all you want. All of a sudden, you get called on the carpet. That's not a, it's not a literary or movie uh, you know, principle. It comes from the Bible. God will not be mocked. There's coming a day when we will answer for everything that we live and say and think and do. And so the psalmist says, only the fool says there is no God and goes on to live as if God does not exist because God will not be mocked. And we need to not be deceived by living in this world and the things we can see and all the things that we hear. And so we need teachers of the word, not just to get up here and talk about whatever, but we need teachers of the word of Christ to help us live our faith practically in order to receive the internal inheritance that belongs to the sons of promise. 
And Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. We need to live our faith practically in order to receive the eternal inheritance that is ours as sons of promise. And so let me be very pointed here for a moment. Galatians 6 teaches that those, uh, teaches those that live for God's glory by bearing each other's burdens, by coming along each, uh, alongside each other physically to help each other spiritually and financially, those people will receive an eternal reward. And those who don't will not. You will reap what you sow. How you live today and every day God gives you is a revealer of what you will receive on the last day. If you sow to your flesh, you'll reap corruption and death. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap life. Now, Paul is not saying our good works are the basis of our eternal inheritance. We, we can't forget where we are in the scope of the entire letter of Galatians. Chapters 1 to 4 go through great lengths to say the promise of salvation is all of grace. And the receiving of salvation is all of grace by faith alone in Jesus alone. So we're sons of Abraham, sons of promise, all by grace, not by doing works of the law. So Paul is not saying all that in the first part of his letter and then undermining it here in chapter 6. Tom Schreiner helpfully comments this way. He says, Good works constitute the evidence that one has been transformed by God's grace. We don't do good works and then receive grace. God first pours out his transforming grace, and then this transformation's evidence is our freedom from the power of sin and the flesh by our keeping in step with the Spirit. So because God saved us, we keep in step with the Spirit. We don't keep in step with the Spirit, and then God saves us. And so the question then becomes, is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? What are you sowing? Are you sowing what will be a reaping of eternal rewards? And verse 8 defines this more specifically for us. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And again, that, that he's explaining what he's meaning, and he does so helpfully with the phrase, the one who sows. We don't do it very often anymore, but the one who sows is one who walks through his field scattering seeds. It's a, it's a lifelong, daily process for the farmer. It's in season, again, at the end of the season, they reap. Beginning of the next season, they do it. Just over and over and over. It's a way of life. And so Paul isn't teaching our eternity is based on always being sinless in everything we think or say and do. Paul is not saying you can never fail to sow in the Spirit if you're going to want to, or, if you, or excuse me, if you hope to reap eternal life. Rather, the one who sows paints a picture of our way of life, the kind of people we are, generally how we spend our days. 
And what Paul has already explained in Galatians and what we see throughout the scriptures is that for sinners on this side of eternity, the sowing Paul is calling us to isn't sinlessness, but trusting in our sinless Savior. Are you trusting in Him when you fail? Are you looking to Him to empower your life? Are you asking Him to lead and guide you? Are you longing for His name to be more central than your own? His kingdom to be built, not your own. His will to be done, not your own. And in those moments when you're found loving your own name and building your own kingdom and living according to your own will, are you trusting in the one who never, who never failed to do so? And casting yourself back on Jesus, the sinless Savior. And actually, as we continue to trust in Jesus by grace, that's what the Holy Spirit actually uses to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus, who was perfect and always kept in step with the Spirit every day and spent his days bearing the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And so, brothers and sisters, how you spend your days shapes your eternity. Annie Dillard famously wrote once, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And how you spend your life reveals how you will spend eternity. And if you sow your time and your resources to keep in step with the Spirit, you will reap an eternal harvest. But you will only do that as you value eternity more than earthly things. If you value eternity more than earthly things. And so do not be deceived. There's coming a day when what is unseen now will be seen by all. And all that you can see now and be tempted to sow for, to live for, to invest your life in, will pale in value when God reveals his eternal kingdom. On that last day, do not be regretting how you spent your days. There, what, you is, what is unseen now will be seen by all. And it will outshine anything you can live for today. And so friends, on that day, when this last day comes, when the principle of God will not be mocked finally comes to fruition. Will you reap for eternity? You will reap for eternity what you've sown daily. And so we begin to see how Paul is putting these exhortations together. God's Spirit ministers to God's people through God's words. Not JJ's words or any other teacher's dazzling insights or personality or lofty speech or wisdom, but through the preaching of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning. And so on the last day, it will be clear to all people that everything is from Jesus and for Jesus and to Jesus. And a teacher is only worth your support as they teach the word of Christ and equip you to reap an eternal harvest on that last day. And you can be sure today, not by saying I've lived perfectly or I've never done anything wrong. That's not how you can be sure that you will reap the eternal reward. But it's by trusting in the one who did. And then by grace, keeping in step with his spirit as we bear each other's burdens financially and spiritually and help each other wait 
for this last day when we reap our eternal reward. Do not be deceived. That last day is coming. And that leads to our third exhortation. Persevere in doing good. Support gospel teachers, value eternity, and persevere in doing good. Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, as many of you know, um, I love going to Detroit sporting events. Um, and here's another evidence of grace among this congregation. There are even Michigan State Spartans who give me Michigan Wolverine tickets. That's how much you materially support me, um, even though you hate it to your core. But often at these Detroit sporting events, uh, journeys, don't stop believing, gets blasted into the stadium. And they always cut out for the crowd to sing right at that one spot, which you all know, born and raised in South Detroit. Maybe if you don't know it, it's okay. But you know what? There is no South Detroit. That's right. But not first. First, it's a river. <laughs> and then it's Windsor. And I guarantee you, Windsor does not consider themselves South Detroit. And I don't mean to ruin one of your favorite songs, <laughs> but once you know the truth that there is no South Detroit, you can't quite sing it like you did before. And living in this world by faith in the Spirit is a bit like having that new perspective. You know, Jesus sets you free from sin to a life of loving God and loving and serving others, and you have this family you've been brought into, and then real life happens. <laughs> you know, fallen world things happen. We sin, and we're sinned against. And as Paul already stated in chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, uh, our flesh battles with the Spirit daily. And not only is it daily, it's going to be as long as you live. It's a lifelong fight of faith to walk in step with the Spirit. And so there are going to be days when you feel like you just don't have it in you anymore to fight your flesh, and you just want to give in. And there are going to be many days when the people God's intertwined you with just annoy the snot out of you, and you're like, I just can't serve one more person especially in love. Can I do it grinning and bearing it? Can I do it even though I hate it? You just, we just are so prone to weariness. And God calls us to persevere in doing good. And when you hear the phrase doing good, I'm sure morally good works come to mind. Uh, and the phrase does include that. But in the context of Galatians chapter 6, Paul's, Paul's not talking just about some morally good works. It's actually much broader than that. Doing good connects with sowing to the Spirit in verse 8, which connects to walking with the Spirit in chapter 5. And that's where the power to not grow weary in doing good comes from. Not just trying to say, I gotta do a few more good things but it's actually because we've already been set free and have the Spirit within us that we can persevere in doing good. It does not come from deep within, from just grinning and bearing it, but from the Spirit's power and the freedom Jesus gave you. 
And so there's a, a danger here that Paul warns us of, of trying to walk in the freedom of Jesus by your own willpower. And that's not very different from what the false teachers came telling the church in Galatia at the first. Remember in chapter 3, Paul says, you started by grace, you're going to now try and do it by works? You already received the Spirit by hearing and by grace, you're going to try now to keep the Spirit by doing things? Remember chapters 1 and 2, Paul talks about the false gospels and then circumcision? There's a bit of a play on words here when Paul talks about sowing to the flesh. (laughs) Remember, the false teacher said that to be really saved, you had to do good works, and men must be circumcised. They must sow to their flesh, so to speak. But the gospel isn't Jesus starts you and then expects you to get to the finish line. The good news of the gospel is there's total freedom in Jesus. He did it all once and for all, what you could not. He has already given you all that he has, all that he's won. It is yours. And that's why verse 9 closes with the, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We're pointed to the last day before we're pointed to today. Do you see what Paul's doing? Paul says, look to the last day. You will reap. Don't give up. Then he points to today. You see, false enslaving gospels put your eyes on today before they put them on the last day. They say, you do this, and then you'll get that. And if if you are abounding in weariness right now, you need to ask yourself, Is that your perspective? We're going to grow weary. Paul's not saying, if you grow weary, you're you're the worst. He's not saying that. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. Weariness is part of this world. We are going to grow weary. We're tired, we're frail, we're creatures. So he's not saying never grow. He says, don't grow weary of doing good. And so if you have a weariness about you, That's not because we live in a fallen world. Ask yourself, is it because you first focus on today before you focus on the last day? You might be ensnared in a false enslaving gospel because they always point you, you do this. You have to perform this. You need to be earning this. Then you'll get that. But the true gospel proclaims, because of Jesus, that's already yours. It's already fully yours. You're dressed in Jesus' righteousness. What he did is yours. It's credited to your account by faith, not by doing by faith. The end, he has gone to prepare a place for us to live with him. If he wasn't, would he have told us that? No, he's already done it. He's doing it. So uh, the true gospel, it says, that's already yours because of who Jesus is. So don't give up. And so you see, Journey just plagiarized Paul 2,000 years later when he said, don't stop believing. Every day, don't stop believing. Don't give up. Jesus set you free from sin to a life of love and to serve one another because that's how he loved and served us. So don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. He is coming back. 
The last day is on the horizon. And so on those days when you're weary, when you're thinking and you're tempted, like, I just can't do this for one more day, don't stop believing. Look to Jesus, and the Spirit will graciously preserve you as you persevere in supporting gospel teachers and remembering that eternity is coming and valuing it more than earthly things and then to persevere in doing good. And we can when the Spirit empowers us by faith in Jesus. And that leads us to one final application. Because we're free, because because the future is already set and it is ours. Work for everyone's good. The final application, Paul wraps it up and says, work for everyone's good. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul closes this section with a summarizing command. He's kind of wrapping up all these exhortations together into one final application. Work for everyone's good. When people ask, what is the church? One of our answers can be people who intentionally work for the ultimate good of everyone around us. Now, then we might argue what our definitions of ultimate good are, but ours are what is found in scriptures. But regardless, we will be people who on the last day will be judged to, be, to have been working for everyone's ultimate good in Jesus Christ. So that means we get up each morning with a laser-focused intensity not to get my cup of coffee, but how I'm going to spend my day for the good of others. I wake up every day, my heart is beating, I have breath in my lungs, and God has put me on this earth in the spheres of influence he's put me in to work for everyone's good. And of course, that's why Paul addresses weariness in the previous verses. You get vacation days from work, but you don't get a vacation from walking in the Spirit and from doing good to everyone around you. And that's what the phrase, uh, as we have opportunity, gets at. As you have opportunity. It doesn't say, do good to everyone when it's convenient, when it's easy, when you have a couple free moments, or when you can afford it. It says, when God gives you opportunity. You know, um, when people schedule a meeting with you, uh, and then you get the email invite, and there's those buttons. It says, accept. There's even a maybe sometimes, and a decline. When God schedules your divine appointment to do someone good, he doesn't have to check with you first if it's okay. <laughs> there's no buttons on the invitation when the opportunity and the door opens. You walk through it. The opportunity is there. It doesn't matter if it's convenient, easy, or you can afford to. If God's opened it to you, he's going to empower you to have the resources to do someone good. And it's actually in those moments, often when it's least convenient, that your flesh will begin to raise, rise up within you. And you'll have the opportunity to either sow to the flesh, which if you do, verses 18 and 19 and 20 and 21 of chapter 5 will start showing up. You can know what you're sowing to. 
or you can sow to the Spirit. And you'll start to see the fruit of the Spirit in 20 to, or excuse me, 22 to 24 start showing up. What are you going to sow to in those moments? And if you're like me, those moments often show up when you don't really feel like it, when you don't really want to, when this thing keeps popping like this. And I want to, I don't know what it is. Who knows? Something. That's what the lions are going to do later. Okay. Um, I don't know where I am. I can't see. I don't know what's happening. I'm glad he's on the life and safety team because it's making me nervous that someone's just going to start walking up here. Yeah. This is a fun Lord's Day, isn't it? We've got lots of fun things going on. Okay, I couldn't really see, so I don't know where I'm at. And now I really don't know where I'm at. Oh, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're like me, it's going to come in moments when it's not very convenient. And then how about I get more real with you? <laughs> the, the Lord... The Lord is really trying. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. I'm going to use the handheld. Okay. And if you're like me, um, sometimes God's divine appointment comes with people that you may not like very much. Or how about don't like you? No, I'm good. I appreciate it. And they, it comes at times when maybe it's with someone who doesn't view the world the same way you do, vote the same way you do, like the same things you like, believes the same things you believe. And often, sometimes God's divine appointment won't actually be with that person physically. <laughs> maybe you'll find yourself in an online conversation or an in-person conversation that has started to turn into a gossip or a slander fest about someone who isn't present. And those moments are an opportunity to do good and so to the spirit or to do ill and so to the flesh. And I'm not talking about real conversations that we actually need to have about some very important things. I'm talking about those conversations when we are actually sowing to the spirit and operating in the flesh. And rather than loving our en enemies, we're hating them. And so regardless of when that divine appointment shows up or with whom the divine appointment is with, each day has opportunities for us to keep in step with the Spirit and to love others through serving them. And then Paul says, it's not only our neighbors, which means he's saying everyone. We, we do need to do good to all, everyone. But then he says, especially those who are of the household of faith, especially those who are of the five points family to make it very real for us. This church body should look like that first picture I showed, that our roots are so intertwined with each other's daily lives that we can love and bear one another's burdens, which will be shown in real life, care for one another. And we're growing uh, increasingly into a time where People who hold to the Bible uh, will be mocked for what they believe. Uh, it used to be 
that at least the church was somewhat uh, held up as, you know, okay, they're, they're, those are good people. Well, now we're not so good because of some of the things we believe the Bible says to be true. And the world is probably blown away and mocks us at what we think is true. But they should be just as blown away by how much we truly love each other. They might think we're crazy or bigots or idiots or hate a lot of things, but they will, should never be able to say they don't love each other. They don't work to bear one another's burdens. That I might not believe what they believe, but when one of them is down, they, they pick them up. When one of them feels like they can't take one more step, there are people who are grasping each shoulder and arm and helping them take the next one and the next one and the next one. That no matter how much they have going on in their lives, they're so intertwined like tree roots that they really do feel that if their brother or sister's burden takes them down, it's going to take them down too. And so we can begin to feel this way about one another when we give opportunity for it. And so I'm going to put some of you on the spot today, and I'm going to have some of you put others on the spot and make some plans uh, this week to share a cup of coffee or a meal or a phone call on your drive to, on your commute to work or when you're folding laundry or when you're mowing your, whatever it is, to connect with someone this week about how the Spirit is working in you, what He's revealing in you, how He's working out the flesh, what you're struggling with, and make, make an opportunity this week to not only practice hospitality, but then to show it and to begin to intertwine your life with another so that we begin to look like this household of faith God has saved us into more and more. Many of us do this already, but I'm going to ask you to go outside your comfort zone and maybe find someone who doesn't feel like they're part of the household of faith, someone who might be new, someone who might be here a long time that you've never really interacted with, how can you intertwine today with your brothers and sisters so that we can use our good things to bear each other's burdens each day so that we all get to the last day and reap our eternal board together? Let's pray. So, Father, we pray you would help us be this kind of intentional, opportunistic people, even though it is costly. But help us to realize that that type of sowing is in step with the spirit of Jesus who at great cost to himself loved us and gave himself for us to bear our burden of sin on the cross so that we might have life in him. And so we pray that you would help us love as we've been loved and keep our eyes on the eternal and abiding possession that we will reap one day if we do not give up. And we pray that as we turn to the table that the grace we find here in the bread and the cup would, would fuel us, would wash away our weariness, and would help us remember that there is a last day coming with a great feast where you will be present and that we will never leave. 
for you will then be our God forever with us, and we your people. And so until that day, as we wait, we pray for your grace to love you and to love one another through service, we pray. Amen.